0: Luke chapter 10, and uh, the message title today, we're going to talk about unexpected mercy. We're going to look at a very familiar passage of scripture today that uh, I know most have read probably a few times or at least heard maybe even a few messages on this, and that is the the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, very uh, applicable today as we look at this. If you're able to, once you find your place there in Luke 10, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, Luke chapter 10. In beginning reading in verse 25, Luke 10, beginning reading in verse 25, the Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And there we enter the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus answering said, A certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showeth mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Blessed be the word of the Lord, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we uh, look at this passage again, a familiar passage to us, but Lord, it starts with that question, loving God with all their heart, soul, and might, loving our neighbor as ourself, Lord, do we do that? And Lord, we just ask that your word would speak to us today. May your Holy Spirit guide me and my lips, Lord. Help me to convey what you've laid on my heart today. And Lord, may we be receptive to you. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at the parable of Good Samaritan, again, it's a um, very familiar story to us. Uh, most of us heard it. In fact, we have different organizations even named Good Samaritan Nursing Homes insurance agencies, <laughs> several things that are out there with Good Samaritan. Um, but uh, kind of in thinking of the Good Samaritan, I want to tell kind of a personal story that happened back when we were living in Israel. I mentioned some weeks ago that we were involved with a ministry, um, a humanitarian aid ministry, but part of our ministry was uh, called Operation Moses, where we actually helped a pro-life organization in Israel and uh, by Basically, when, when the baby was born uh, for, a, chi- uh, for a, a mother and family who chose to keep the child, we uh, would then supply the family with all the basic necessities for a nursery, a crib, stroller, uh, changing table, just, just about everything that we need to get started. And then after that, even for the rest of the year, we would give them a monthly supply, a supply of diapers and then formula as well. So it was an amazing ministry. So on one of these trips... We went down to the city of Beersheba, the city of Abraham, from Tel Aviv, from where we were, it's about an hour and a half drive, and uh, Beersheba is the gateway to the Negev Desert, okay? And so, uh, we had a big uh, GMC Savannah van uh, with it, and I had two ladies who were volunteers with us, and uh, so we went down and did our delivery, had a great time ministering and all that, and so on the way back, we were probably about a half hour or so out of Beersheba, and uh, we were, I would like to say this, I was driving through the desert in a van with no name. All right? Some of you got that. All right? <sighs> Anyways, now you have that song stuck in your head the rest of the time. All right. But as we were driving, about a half hour out of Beershev or so, all of a sudden, I, my rear passenger tire went kaplooey. It just, it just went flat and everything, couldn't do anything. So I had a pole on the side of the road. And uh, there wasn't, there's not a whole lot of room there, and so a big flow of traffic, and so I had to pull over on the side of the road, uh, put up the markers and things like that, and uh, and it was just a very tricky van to basically take off the, uh, the, that tire, but also the, uh, the spare. and I can fix a flat, that's not a problem, but it was just a very tricky situation, could not do it, it worked, it seemed like probably a half hour, and so... Um, you're thinking, would anyone stop by? Again, streams of traffic going past us on the highway, and no one stopped us. The police drive by, and they didn't stop either. All right? So, And by the way, in Israel, no, this is the thing. In Israel, no one stops to offer help. Okay, this is just cultural. It just, just rarely happens. Uh, and so I'm there, like, what's going on? I had these two ladies. It's starting to get a little dark now. And so I'm getting towards the evening, and I'm thinking, okay, God, what are you going to do? And then all of a sudden, over the sand dunes comes the Bedouin. The Bedouin are nomadic people that live in the desert areas. And here they come in their Toyota truck, over, literally over the sand dunes. Think of Lawrence of Arabia, all right? They're coming over the sand dunes, and I think there's about three or four of them. And they come, and they look at this. And by the way, this is kind of our experience with Bedouin. We were driving these big vans. For our deliveries, and always, especially when we're near Beersheba, that's where a lot of them live. Uh, they roll down their window and they said, "How much for that?" They want to buy it. Okay, they're always doing that. Okay, and so they come over the sand dune and they're sitting there. Uh, they're, they're, we're talking to them now, and uh, th- so I, I said, "What's going on?" I said, if "We have a, a flat. I can't get the tire off, and everything just—it was really tricky." And they said, "Oh, we know how to do that," and I'm, I'm sure you do. So. <laughs> And so, anyways, they got to work, and about fifteen minutes later or so, finally, they were able to to unscrew and get the the spare off, and then finally change the tire and and As we were doing that, me and the ladies that were there we, it was been a long day by this point, and so they pull out and they they have like this bag of grapes, or actually a box of grapes, and so they were feeding us as they were working on the van and all that and so it was just really amazing and Anyways, uh, I'm thinking, what else is going to happen? Got to remember, there's streams of traffic. I mean, it's think it like you're on, you know, 169 or something like that. It's it's a f- constant flow of traffic going by. And so, anyways, finally got everything going, and I said, well, we can't go. We're on that spare. There's no way we're going to get back to Tel Aviv. It's still well over an hour drive. Um, it's would uh, be, be surprising if we would make it. So, anyways. Finally, got the spare on, and they said, "Well, maybe if we go to the next town, which is Kiryat Gat. Kiryat Gat is named after the old city of Gath in the Bible." So we go to Kiryat Gat. We pull in, and I know Kiryat Gat a little bit, but I don't know the industrial area that well, where all the shops are. But by the way, this is near closing time. Sun's getting it's getting darker, and all that. We pull in, and the guy's about ready to close up his shop. Literally, I mean, he's there about ready to pull it down, this door down. And then I say, "Hey, we got this this uh, this flat. What can you do for us?" Said yes, I have the exact tire for that model, and we were able to get it fixed. And 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 by the way, he still was had a few minutes to spare before he closed the shop. It's amazing how. By the way, in Israel, nothing works quickly, so this was a miracle. All right. For example, if you go to the bank, you know, to do some transactions, it's not a quick you know drive-through, and you're you're done within two minutes. You expect, expect about an hour or so. Okay. Um, I remember I used to get had a mechanic friend of mine doing an oil change and all that. It took them well over a day to do everything. I don't know why. Just, 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 it's the pace of life, okay? So we were back on the road, got home and everything. But as you're thinking about this, after I was story, got home, talked to my wife and all that, I was like, well, honey, I think we just had a good Samaritan experience. We literally did. We're broken down the side of the road. The regular Israelis pass us by. The police pass us by. And the, lo and behold, the people that you at least expect, well, at least to help you anyways, was the Bedouin. Literally coming over the sand dunes, coming to help you fix the tire. And then offering extras like grapes and all that. So that's what my mind went to. And so I would like to say that me and these volunteers, we received unexpected mercy. It really came out of the blue. So as we think about that, again, when we're familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. And how this man fell among thieves who was, uh, who, uh, no, no one in particular, has no identity exactly who this person was. But nonetheless, uh, it's, it's interesting, the need that he had for mercy and how people responded to him. I think this is something that's very important. Well, like I said earlier, like, while the story of the Good Samaritan is familiar and, and even has uh, seeds of growth uh, for, you know, for hospitals being started, orphanages, um, other care organizations, a lot of, again, Good Samaritan type things, and and that is very virtuous that someone would go out of their way. So to be called a Good Samaritan is almost, it's a very good compliment you're a good Samaritan. You went out of your way to help us when you didn't have to, type of thing, uh, to help those in need. And there is a lot of virtue to that. And we should always strive to be compassionate. We should always strive to look on the welfare of others. That's something we should do, especially as Christians, that we should be models of that. And that's very true. However, I think in, in some ways that the parable of the good Samaritan is this, sometimes we just look for that direct application, and I think we really miss the meaning of this story. You see, as we look at this, it, we really have to start at the beginning. It was started out with a question. It begins with a lawyer, uh, who, again in verse 25, a certain lawyer stood up. Uh, a lawyer here, think of it as not like a judiciary lawyer, for example, or some type of an attorney. This is a kind of, a, think of a scribe, or someone who is an expert in religious law. Uh, they knew the, the Torah inside and out. They knew everything about it. And so as the, this lawyer, as this religious s- scholar, if you want, he comes, he stands up, he tempts Jesus, saying, or tests him, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this question here, I believe, is this. If you talk to someone, sharing them about Jesus, sharing them about, about God, and they ask you a question, well, how do I get How do I get to heaven? How do we get eternal life? So really, what this story is all about, even the Good Samaritan, it's really an evangelistic story. It's really an evangelistic story. It's not so much about caring for the needs of others, which that is implied, and that, that's obvious, but it's even bigger than that, and it is, this is an evangelistic story. In other words, the real question is this. How does one inherit, how does one gain eternal life? How does one get to know God? That's the idea, okay? And so this is a, a story. So let's begin by a few things. Talking about unexpected mercy and how this all plays in. First of all, we see here that Jesus gives an unexpected response to an important question. Again, as it says here, the, the certain lawyer stood up, tempted him. The word tempt means like testing. It's not necessarily in a, in a bad context, per se. You'll, you'll find different commentators going both ways that he was being really manipulative in that, that question, uh, or try to trip Jesus up, but the Greek word could also be used to simply say, he simply just asked a very important question, okay, it has that tendency, nonetheless, the question itself is important, what should we do to inherit eternal life, how do you get to heaven, how do you get to God, all right, that's the question that we have here, and so Jesus is asking this, he answers him, But he answers with a question. He gives what we say a very typical Jewish response. You ask a question with a question. What should I do to inherit eternal life? What would you say to that? Well, Jesus gave something that probably would be a little unexpected. Okay? He says here, well, what is written in the law? How readest thou? Again, he's talking to a religious scholar. He's talking to a a lawyer, an expert in the law and the Torah. And he says here, what readest thou? What is in the law? What's written there? Okay? And then the man, he gives an answer. He says here, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, or strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And what this is here, this is actually what we call the summation of the law, the summary of the law. And this is referred to in Hebrew as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And then the second part, to love thy neighbor as thyself, is from Leviticus 19.18. And so this is really the summary of the law that's there. Even if you want to, at a cursory glance, look at the Ten Commandments, Uh, the first, I'm going to just generalize it, the first half of the commandments uh, really deal with how to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the last part of the commandments is really how to love your neighbor as yourself. It's really kind of divided in, in that relationship. And so this is very important as we see here. So was this answer correct? What is written in law about about how to, to know God? Yes, it's true because Jesus says in verse 28, he said unto him, thou hast answered right, you're correct. This do and thou shalt live. And so the idea is this. As Jesus is saying to him, this shall you do or you should keep on doing this. It really is the present imperative if you want to be into grammar, things like that. In other words, you keep on doing it. Keep loving God with all your heart. So keep loving your neighbor as yourself. Just keep on, keep on doing it. Now, was Jesus saying here that if you keep the law, you that's how you get to God? If you keep obeying God, is that how, how you're going you're gonna to do that? No, that's not what he's saying as well. What he's really doing is he's challenging this man, do you really love God with all your heart, soul, and might Perfectly? Do you really love your neighbor as yourself perfectly in every area of your life? That's really the question. So he's really, what he's doing is this. He's really challenging him to understand what the law was all about. I like what Warren Worsby said about this that there can be no conversion without conviction. And the law is what God uses to convict sinners. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, but by the law is the knowledge of sin. A lot of times when people share about Jesus, they share all about the good things. God loves you. Yes, he died for you and all that, but He, he just, just believe in him. You're going to get saved and all that. Saved from what? I remember this some years ago now. There was a, a lady up in uh, northern Minnesota that uh, she had a, a brother with... Um, some uh, developmental uh, issues, delays, things like that. And, but he had gotten saved. Uh, he, w- he was just excited, knowing the Lord. And so he goes to his sister, he says, Sister, I got saved. And she says, saved from what? You know, she, was, she didn't understand and all that. But understand, he knew, this guy, he knew his need for a Savior because he was a sinner. The thing is this, that a lot of times we justify ourselves, like we're not as bad as, we think we are. We're a pretty good person all the way around. We tried to do our best, right? But what Jesus has challenged us, do you do this perfectly? Okay? And as we think of this, the two great commandments, and we earlier in the service today, we read from Matthew 22, a different little scenario there, but Jesus is, again, summarizing law, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. But here's the thing, I don't believe we can honestly love our neighbor as ourselves unless you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You see, to have a view of Christ is to have, a, or to have a view of mission is to have a view of Christ. That's the heartbeat of God. So again, this is my challenge for us today is this, can you honestly say, yes, I love my neighbor as myself when there's something between you and God? Is there something between you and God in your relationship? And that will affect how you relate to others. Now, here's the thing that is going on here. The lawyer now challenges Jesus' response. He asked a very good question. How shall I inherit eternal life? All right. But then he kind of follows up with a kind of a bad question, if you will. And he says this in verse 29. But he willing to justify himself or kind of, Firm up his position, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So what he is doing here is this is kind of the bad motive that he have that he has. What he was doing in looking for, he was looking for a loophole. Who is my neighbor? Now, in that time, the the Jewish thought of a neighbor was it could be limited. Uh, At best, it could be anyone who is a part of Israel. Okay? That's my neighbor. Anyone we like, we get along with that are kind of on our team, if you will. That's who our neighbor is. Or I would say probably in a more direct sense, consider the background of this guy. It's probably more so of my fellow religious companions. The guys that I serve with, yes, that's my neighbor. And the thing is this, when we really think about it, uh, our neighbor is really kind of more so who we get along with. That's how we really think about it. Even if you have a next-door neighbor who gets on your nerves... OK, don't raise any hands. All right. And don't be that neighbor. All right. But anyways, as we think about that, sometimes we pick and choose who our neighbors are going to be, um, who we get along with. is kind of our choosing. Well, who is my neighbor? We're kind of looking for for definitions. Well, you, uh, you know what is is, you know, in your definition, define it. And so this is kind of what this guy is doing. He's looking for a loophole. Who is my neighbor? Now the word neighbor here is actually referring to uh, kind of a actually it's referring to your fellow man. That's really the idea. The neighbor is your fellow man. You see here what was going on is the lawyer did not apply the law personally. He was trying to justify himself. Make him self-righteous rather than seeking the justification of God. Instead of God justifying him, he sought to justify himself. So uh, I get to pick and choose who my neighbors are. So think of it this way. If you get to love God with all your heart soul and mind, you get to love your neighbor as well. well I can pick whoever I want to love. There are some people we get along with better than others. That's just part of human nature. okay? But the thing is this. Uh, is there a loophole? Is there something we can get around and still say that we do love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, perhaps. Well, Jesus is going to challenge that by giving a story. Now, as we look at the story... It's interesting. I think it's something that everyone in that culture would have understood and would have experienced. Uh, it's something that at least the setting was very familiar with. Even though names are not mentioned, it, it could have been a very real story, in fact. Maybe even something that the, those, uh, the scribe here and the others around him would have heard. But let's talk about it. Jesus now gives an illustration about unexpected mercy. This is what mercy looks like. This is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, it begins again in verse 30. And Jesus answering and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay, so here's the situation, and we've been talking off and on about Jericho, and we talked about Jericho being the lowest city on earth, and there's a road that you can still hike today, uh, and and parts of it you can drive, but you can still drive from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's about 17 miles, but we talked about the, the elevation, so if you remember right, uh, when remember in the Bible there's, there's different sayings where people went up to Jerusalem. Why? Because you're going up in elevation. It's about 2,500 feet above sea level. Whereas Jericho, 17 miles away, is 850 feet below sea level. So you got well over 3,000 uh, 3, feet difference uh, between the two. And so it was quite a drop. So when you th- see this here, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's going in elevation. Also, when you see this here, it's, he's going into a not-so-good a place as well, and we're about to see why. You can imagine, and if you've ever been to this area, and, in fact, I challenge you to, you get to go to Israel to see this firsthand, it'll make a lot more sense. So as you go to, to Jerusalem and you come down that way to Jericho or go up, don't matter, either way, you're going to come an area called Wadi Kelt. Wadi Kelt is a, a wadi, is kind of a dry riverbed. When you do get rains, it kind of does make a, a stream, if you will, or even flash flooding. That happens during certain times of the year. But this is the area that this man was was traveling. And because of the elevation drop, you can imagine, it's so rugged, uh, very inhospitable. And so it was a perfect place for robbers, for thieves, to hide behind rocks or, or ravines and all that and to come up and surprise and take their unexpected prey. And so as we think about that, there is another thing to consider too that plays a part of the story that Jericho at this time in the New Testament, this is also a place where many of the priests and Levites lived as well. When they came to do service at the temple, uh, they went on a rotation basis. And so many of them lived actually in Jericho. So that kind of plays a little bit part of the background of the story. But nonetheless, what, be, what befell this man, and we don't know, Jew, Gentile, we don't know, but nonetheless, this certain man, as he went, he fell among thieves, stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departing, leaving him, half dead. In other words, he was in a terrible condition. He was a man in great need. And so as we see this, this man needed mercy. So now you have three characters that come to the story. Jesus first of all mentions a a certain priest. It says here, in by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. By the way, I think it's interesting it says here, in by chance, or it just happened to be that a certain priest came along the way. By the way, there's no uh, uh what do you say coincidences with God okay and so as you see this again this is just a story all right but as we see here this a certain priest comes that way when he saw him when he saw the man that was beaten up he simply passed by on the other side and the very similar thing happened with the Levite the Levite when he was at the place he came and looked on him and he passed by the other side the Levite the only thing he did differently uh, the word see and look is the same but the man, the Levite, at least came a little closer, at least at least somewhat approached him, but still passed by on the other side. And so, both the priest and the Levite, who, by the way, here's here's the thing to consider: what what was the first question? How do you inherit eternal life by loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? If there's anyone in this story who would love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, you would think it'd be the priest and Levite. Think about that, okay? Now, the question is, will they actually love their neighbor as herself? Now, they could have had excuses. Maybe, "Oh, I'm late for an appointment. My wife has dinner cooking. I don't know. Um, maybe they because of defilement, oh, we better better not do it, or else we will ha- we can't go back to work because we're unclean. Who knows what excuses there could have been, And I'm sure there was many well-intentioned excuses that they could have made. It's not given, but who knows what was going through their minds. But nonetheless, They did not act. They simply passed by. And now here comes the familiar part of the story that we know best. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, I want you to picture yourself. Put yourself in the sandals of those that were around the lawyer there that Jesus was talking to. And as you're listening to this story, you're probably thinking, okay, there's a priest. He passes by. There's a Levite who served in the temple. He passes by. If you're the average Jewish person around, you're probably thinking, well, probably the next person that's going to come is probably just your ordinary layman. Okay? In their mind, that's probably what they're thinking. That's what they were expecting. And Jesus turns it on his head, and a certain Samaritan. What? A Samaritan? Oh, what are the Samaritans? We have here the parable of the good Samaritan. Now, I'll be honest with you. When you really think about it, good Samaritan is an oxymoron to a Jewish mind. Okay? Why is that? The Samaritans, their their background, it was this: When um, remember the the kingdom of Israel back after David and Solomon's time, the kingdom of Israel split. You had the northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes, and pretty much all of them, including their leadership, they they failed to to obey the Lord. They uh, they worship other gods. It was terrible. And then you had southern Israel or, or Judah that was ruled by uh, nineteen kings, one queen, and for the most well, it was. It was up and down. Put it that way. Some kings were really good leading people according to the ways of the Lord. Others, forget it. Okay. And so what happened, though, is that in the year 722 B.C., that the Assyrians came and they conquered uh, northern Israel and took many captive and so as far as what happened many of those uh, Israelites from northern Israel they intermarried with the Assyrians and many of them came back uh, to live in that area into what we is, even today is called Samaria and sometimes geopolitical terms you'll hear of the West Bank okay and so that's the area that we are talking about uh, remember in John chapter 4 we have the Samaritan woman at the well and again the in fact the the comments there is that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Uh, there were some rabbis who went to the extreme because of the ethnic divisions that were going on there, that if a, a, a Samaritan woman was, was a, a going to deliver a baby, that the Jewish person uh, should not assist in any way because that would be bringing another Gentile into the world some Some rabbis were that extreme at that time, okay now, uh, so as we think about this, so the Samaritans and and in fact, they worship on their own place, they worship about Mount Gerizim. by the way, the Samaritans still do that today. Did you know that Samaritans still live today they 're still around uh, most of them live around around, around Mount Gerizim, and uh, there 's actually synagogues there, they do everything uh, right there they um, Uh, maybe one time we'll kind of do a study on the Samaritans. So there's probably, I would say, around close to 2,000 Samaritans living today, but they're still there, okay? Uh, There's another group of Samaritans that live in the city of Kolon, which is right next door for where we used to live in in Israel, okay? So the Samaritans were, some of them were actually our neighbors, a few hundred. So kind of an interesting story. Uh, That's just extra food for thought. But nonetheless, the Samaritans and the Jews, they did not get along. They avoided each other. And uh, for different reasons, okay, the, the uh, Samaritans were viewed as half-breeds, uh, inferior. They have their own set, their own traditions and things like that, so things were kept separate. So would all, why of all people would a Samaritan come and do what the other, the priests and Levites should have done? And so this is what the Samaritan did. He journeyed, he came, he saw the man And he didn't pass by. He had compassion on him. And he acted on that compassion. Verse 34. And he went to him and bound him up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, I will come and get and repay thee. So in these verses here, we see many things of how the Samaritan came and acted. The Samaritans' actions were compassionate, it was selfless, and it was costly. I want to say this, that the Samaritans' actions were really a testament of lavish mercy, unexpected mercy from an unexpected source. There was nothing that bound the Samaritan to do this. Rather, he just simply acted from his heart. It's interesting, what he did is he put the man, he bound him up. I think what's interesting is that the person who's writing this is Luke, as he's writing this under the inspiration of the Spirit. Remember, what was Luke's occupation? He was a doctor. And here he is, putting it in his own doctor terms. Okay? He's probably eating this up as he's writing this. He says, here's the man binding his wounds, pouring oil and wine, basically for medicine at the day. Okay? He set him on his own beast, which implied that this man had some substance. He had some sort of wealth, at least, to have his own beast. And then he brought him to an inn. The, the word inn is, was not your ho, uh, holiday inn. It wasn't your Hampton Inn, things like that. It wasn't even your Motel 6, okay? These were your, your caravans as they would pass through, and uh, they would look for a place to stay. This was not uh, usually a safe situation. Uh, generally, this is where you would take your family on. Uh, these were kind of these caravans that, would go, that they would travel through, bring spices, other goods, and they would stop at these rest areas, if you will, and uh, put it this way, it was not a safe environment. That was the place you'd go there if there was... If you were maybe in danger from something else, or you're coming escaping a storm, that'd be about it. You would try to move on if you could. But nonetheless, the Samaritan put him here in this inn, and he took care of him. He actually spent the night there with the man. How do we know that? Because in verse thirty-five it says, "And on the morrow, the next day, he departed." So he actually spent it overnight with him. He took two pence or denarii. He gave them to the host. Now, this was um, a couple days' wages here, but that amount of money, according to Roman, scholar, Roman historians at that time, that this amount of money that was paid to the innkeeper, if you will, was about the equivalent of, of rent for two months. Two months for that man to stay there. Wow. This tells you a lot of the extra care And this is the lavish mercy. And on top of that, he says this take care of him, and whatever thou spendest more when I come, I will repay thee. Talk about an open door for extortion. Okay? Think of it this way you know, whatever you you spend, whatever you can, take care of this guy, and I'll repay you. I'll pay whatever. There was no price limit. Lavish mercy on this guy. Before this, there's no idea that these two ever met before. Again, it's just a story. But nonetheless, we see that the Samaritan's actions were compassionate, selfless, and costly. This was lavish mercy. One thing, when we think about this, unexpected mercy does not need an excuse to act. It just simply acts from the heart. You know, as we think about the lawyer's question, Jesus now says in verse 36, Which now of these three the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan. Which of these three was a neighbor to him that fell among the thieves, to this man who was beat up? You know, the the lawyer here, at the beginning of the story, thought of the neighbor in a general way. You know, when we kind of say, well, we should help the poor, help those in need. Well, that's just kind of a blanket statement. You know what that does? It kind of takes the responsibility off of us to act. When when we generalize things, okay? But what if I say, hey, there's a man named Frank, and he, he doesn't have any money, he doesn't have any food. All of a sudden, that puts more of a, a yoke of responsibility to act upon it, okay? When you see people in need, maybe someone individually, we all have needs. Jesus even said, the poor you always have with you, with me you have not always. But as we think about this, this lawyer here, he thought of a neighbor in a very general way. It takes a responsibility off of him. I don't have to help this poor guy. I, my neighbor is those who I like, who I get along with. And if we're with ourselves that's really how we think most of the time too the neighbor that is to us is those people we get along with what about the ones you don't get along with are they your neighbor as well well you see here jesus presented the word neighbor in a specific way it was really a call to live with unexpected mercy to have unexpected mercy So here we have the final challenge in verse 36 and verse 37. Who is the the neighbor? Will the real neighbor stand up? Well, as the man said, the lawyer says, and he said, uh, he couldn't even get the word Samaritan out of his mouth. That shows a little bit of his heart. (laughs) He said he, uh, that uh, showed mercy on him. That's true. That's true. And Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. And kind of what's interesting here, um, the word go and do thou likewise is kind of the same idea. Remember back in verse 28, if you're going to love God with all your heart, soul, and might, you keep on doing this perfectly. And now at the very end, Jesus is saying, go and do thou likewise. In other words, you keep on doing that. You keep on living out that mercy, okay? So a true neighbor, though, what is a true neighbor? A true neighbor shows the mercy of God to others. As we think of the Good Samaritan, and by the way, you'll, you'll probably read or even hear of uh, sometimes there's, th- this is not an allegory or metaphor where all these people and places mean something, or it's, it's not that. I don't think that was Jesus' intent here. I think one thing we can say is that the attitude and the actions of the Samaritan were very much like Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is not Samaritan, he was Jewish, but nonetheless, the actions that were performed by the Samaritan, that's exactly who, what Jesus is like. That's his heart, his compassion. And that's something that we should model as well. But a true neighbor here shows the mercy of God to others. Now, the final question, as we say, who is the real neighbor? Will the real neighbor stand up? The final question has an obvious answer, but it revealed the heart of the lawyer. The truth was that the lawyer really did not love his neighbor because he really didn't love God with all his heart, soul, and might. Rather, he loved himself. In fact, he says in verse 29, he was trying to justify himself, trying to make himself look a little bit more righteous, How often we do that? We give excuses to to do that. I I love what 1 John 4, verse 20, 21 say. Uh, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. In other words, if you love God, you're going to love one another. What did Jesus, even when he commanded his disciples... He said, hereby all men will know you're my disciples if you, what, have love one for another. That's talking about the body, the fellowship we have as believers. Even First John talks about that koinonia, that fellowship that we have. And that's true. But our love for our neighbor goes beyond this wall. It goes beyond you, just you and me and the, even the people that we get along with. It really goes to our fellow man. It goes to those, in fact, Jesus even said to love your enemies. Even to that extent. And here we have that an example of loving our enemies. The thing is this. The lesson from the Good Samaritan is very simple. Do we love God with all of our heart, soul, and might? Do we really love our neighbor as ourselves? The bottom line is this from the Good Samaritan. Do we really practice what we preach? Yeah. Yeah, pastor, I love God. I'll do anything for him. Yes, I read the Bible. I'll pray. I'll sing. I'll do Whatever. Okay? Do you love your neighbor? Oh, yeah, I get along great. You know, I've told someone about Jesus the other day, and, you know, I've, I've, I've you know, straightened up their, uh, the mess that they had in their yard, you know, and um, even though they didn't want me to, I did it anyway because it was getting on my nerves. You, you know, you, you try to justify yourself how it may be, okay? But the thing is this, do we really practice what we preach of loving God and loving our neighbor? See, the question here is this. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? But that's not the real question. Jesus turns it on in the head, and he says this, to whom will you be a neighbor? That's the question. It's one thing to pick and choose our neighbors, but the question is, will you be that neighbor? That's really the question that's being presented here. Will you be that neighbor? Now, the question as well as we look at this, you see how lavishly that the Samaritan pay it again for two months, stay at this inn, gave him uh, food, gave him uh, medicine, any, any type of care. Who shows that kind of love? Who would, would you really do it? And I got to look at myself, would I even go bend over backwards that much to take care of someone? I really didn't know. Would we really do that? The answer is probably not. We would care for ourselves that way. And by the way, that means to love our neighbor as ourselves. We would definitely take care of ourselves that way. Nod your head, yes, all right? If you don't, you know, we'll get you some help, all right? So, but anyways, will we look out? Yeah, we we might do this for one of our family members, one of our children, a parent. We would do that, for sure. But will we do it for someone we might not always agree with or get along with? Someone we barely even know. Will we go the extra mile to love our neighbor as ourselves? See, the thing is this. This love is not limited. We are to love our neighbors, those in need. We're to love the sick and even our enemies. This is here the unexpected mercy of Christ lived out through us. This is what it is. It's Christ who lives in you. Now, if you love your neighbor as yourself, a lot of times we do that in our own strength. And you say, you know I, hopefully I'll do better than I did the other, the other day. The thing is this, how do you inherit eternal life? How do you get to God? How do you get to heaven? It's not by doing good works. You can do it all day long, but it will never be enough in God's standard. Maybe in your standard it will, but you're not going to be judged on the day of judgment by your standard of what you did or didn't do. Because all of your righteousness, as Isaiah says, is filthy rags. It's really worthless when you compare to the holiness of God in his grace, in his mercy that you can never compete with. So how then can we really love our neighbor as ourselves? When it comes to the works of righteousness, God is a maximalist. In other words, when it comes to obeying the law, he has a high standard because he's holy, he's perfect. The lawyer, the scribe here, was a minimalist, which was unacceptable to God. He just did what he thought was the minimum. If I just do these things, I'll, I'll be okay. That's how I inherit eternal life. But the question that he brought, the answer to this question for him was to face the reality of his own spiritual condition. How could he inherit eternal life? The thing is this, yeah, people strive to be a good Samaritan and, yes, continue doing that, but really, when you look at that, can you really do this to everyone you meet and help? No, we can't. We fail. We will never be good enough. Does that mean we shouldn't try? Of course. But how do you get to heaven? How do you get to God? It's not by doing all these good works. That's not going to be. You're going to get frustrated when you do it. It will never be enough. But as you see, here's this. How can he inherit eternal life? Here's the answer. He's standing before Jesus. And really what should have been presented to him. Who did this? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. By doing this here, he was really faced with his own spiritual condition. He should have fell before the only one who could give him mercy and forgiveness. By crying out, be merciful to me, a sinner. If only this man, this lawyer, would go to the perfect one standing before him. This is amazing. There's no way that he could perfectly keep the law, loving God or loving his neighbor, and neither can we. As we think about this, trying to obtain eternal life with God by our own means, will always leave us short. We will always come short. We have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We will never be perfect. We will never fully keep the law. But what is the law for? The purpose of the law is to show us the holiness of God in our desperate need for forgiveness and mercy that he lavishly gives on us. Thankfully, God sent his only begotten son, Jesus the Messiah, who perfectly kept and fulfilled the law. And by turning to him, we receive grace and mercy. And in doing that, we become instruments of his righteousness and loving our neighbor as ourselves. I like what Charles Spurgeon said concerning this, this area, this uh, passage here. He said, let it never be forgotten that what the law demands of us, the gospel really produces in us. As you think about it, again, the law demands a high price. It's of heavy weight. But the gospel, by believing in Jesus Christ and accepting his mercy and receiving him as our Savior, that produces in us the blessings, the mercies, and the grace that we can show to others. That's Christ living in you and through you to show himself to others. The story of the Good Samaritan may motivate us to become a better neighbor to those in need, but this story also should look, make us look at our own hearts. Do you really love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Do you really love your neighbor as yourself? When we al- God, allow God's love to flow through us, we will un- undoubtedly love our neighbor with unexpected mercy. This is a, a challenge for each and every one of us. We can never fully do that, but in Christ, we can. My challenge is to you that re- if you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You don't have that forgiveness. A lot of people are bound up. They stiffened up their neck a little bit and said, I'm good. I can handle it. Jesus wants us instead to, to come to him and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he will in no wise cast you out. You come to him, trusted him to be your savior. And if you have done that, let God work in and through you what he has done in your heart and live that out to others. Let others see Jesus in you. And when we see the parable of the Good Samaritan here, we see how that was done. This shows us, again, how really futile we are and how desperately we need God's mercy and to show that to others as he's worked in us.